Hi, and welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast for Monday, November 7th, 2022. I'm your host, Lou DeVizio. We're less than 24 hours away from Election Day. Hundreds of thousands of New Mexicans have already voted. And if you're not one of them, don't forget to head to the polls tomorrow or earlier today, of course. Today on the podcast, our line opinion panel has some final analysis for you before the polls close. In about five minutes, they'll dissect recent polling in state races, like the contest for governor, and then they'll get into congressional races where CD2 looks like it could go down to the wire. We also have a special bonus episode of the podcast coming out today that features our final two candidate conversations of election season. You can find that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you normally listen to New Mexico and Focus, the podcast. Don't forget to watch our election coverage That's live tomorrow night starting at 8 o'clock on channel 5.4 and streaming on the New Mexico and Focus YouTube and Facebook pages. Gene Grant will be keeping up with the results as they come in while analyzing races with our longtime political experts. He'll also check in with our correspondents Antonia Gonzalez and Gwyneth Dolan to talk about what they learned with some of the candidates during our series of candidate conversations. And Gene will wrap up the night with a panel of reporters covering specific races from around the state. Again, that's all tomorrow night. That's Tuesday night, starting at 8 o'clock on Channel 5.4 and streaming on the New Mexico and Focus YouTube and Facebook pages. But for now, let's get to the headlines impacting New Mexicans. According to reporting from Source New Mexico's Ryan Lowry, Mark Ronchetti's campaign has accepted cash donations from three fake electors and another person accused of trying to overturn 2020 presidential election results. The GOP candidate for governor has accepted a total of $15,000 from Lupe Garcia, Rosalind Tripp, and Deborah Maestas. Those three New Mexicans tried to falsely award the state's electoral votes to Donald Trump. Ronchetti also accepted a $500 donation from John Eastman. Eastman is a former Trump lawyer facing scrutiny from a congressional committee for his roles in attempts to overturn the 2020 election. This all comes after Trump announced his endorsement of Ronchetti for governor. Ronchetti's campaign is still trying to keep the former president at arm's length, saying the two have never spoken. Climate change is costing New Mexico billions of dollars, according to a new report. The data, released by a nonpartisan group of environmentally-minded businesses called E2, shows the state lost $5.3 billion in the past 42 years from extreme weather events and other climate-related problems. Nationally, that cost is higher than $150 billion. According to reporting from the Santa Fe New Mexican, as a group, E2 wants to gauge the direct economic impact of our changing climate to figure out if the effects are getting worse as the weather grows hotter, drier, and more unpredictable. The $5.3 billion figure attached to New Mexico can mainly be attributed to drought and wildfires. The data did not include the damage from the recent Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon fire, which is the largest wildfire in the state's recorded history. It also didn't take into account the flooding that followed that fire. Together, they would add billions of dollars to that total. For the next three years, the Albuquerque Police Department will participate in the Department of Justice's National Public Safety Partnership Program. According to reporting from the Albuquerque Journal, the program is meant to help develop and implement strategies that would aim to lower violent crime, encourage community engagement, and analyze data. The initiative began as a pilot program in 2014 and has been used in 57 cities since. That includes Houston, Baltimore, and Chicago. 
Albuquerque is one of six cities chosen in the most recent iteration of the program. The partnership also offers resources and support to the U.S. Attorney's Office, the District Attorney's Office, and other law enforcement partners, including APD. Recent polling from the Albuquerque Journal shows Republican challenger Mark Ronchetti pulling within three points of Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. But that data came out days before Donald Trump announced his endorsement of the GOP candidate for governor. Gene and our line opinion panel debate the influence of that endorsement and take a deeper look at polling in some of the other statewide races. Our panelists for the week are attorney Laura Sanchez, Dave Mulryan, president of Mulryan Nash Advertising, and former New Mexico State Representative Dan Foley. Here's Gene. Now we're looking ahead to Election Day Tuesday, starting with several state races, namely the race for governor. According to new polling from Emerson College, released by KRQE 13 News, 50% of voters view Michelle Lujan Grisham favorably, while 49% of voters see Mr. Ron Ketty as favorable. Overall, 49% of people polled plan to vote for Ms. Lujan Grisham, while 46% plan on voting for Mark Ronchetti. But that poll came out before Donald Trump formally endorsed Mr. Ronchetti on Monday. And Dave Mulryan, obvious question here, will that help him close the gap? Because he needs something here. He's kind of floating in space, not able to really get over the hump here. Is that going to do it for him? Is that going to hurt him with I, moderates? I, I mean, possibly, but mm -hmm. just so that we're aware of what's going on, you know, with the numbers, um, as of yesterday, 383,300 Democrats had early voted, 273,904 Republicans had early voted, and interestingly, uh, declined to state people with no party affiliation, 121,000. So there is a lot of vote that's already banked, you know, mm -hmm. when you look at it. And I'm not sure that at a late date that, you know, a Donald Trump endorsement, I never got the sense that Donald Trump was a big player in New Mexico. I could be wrong, but mm -hmm. just that was my sense, you know, and just stuff. So, I mean, he did not get along with Susanna Martinez. And I don't know if people remember that, if Republicans remember that. I, I don't know. It's not clear. I just, like a lot of things Donald Trump does, it's just unclear whether his endorsement helps you or hurts you. Who mm -hmm. knows, right? Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Laura, uh, Dave mentioned last time around, Mr. Biden defeated Mr. Trump by 11 points here, which turns out to be more than 10,000 votes. It's a lot of votes in New Mexico. Is this, is this going to move the needle at all for Mr. Ronchetti? Well, I mean, I think the real question is, how mm -hmm. does this impact the um, swing voters? Ah. Right? Because you figure that people who are already staunchly... Um, Ronchetti, which are probably, you know, my guess would be they're Trump supporters or could be Trump supporters. Um, they're going to vote for him regardless. And mm -hmm. then there's people who are going to be really turned off by by this. Probably a lot of Democrats very turned off by a Trump endorsement. So they were already not going to vote for him anyway. Yeah. So it's that middle swing vote, right? The people who are potentially declined to state, but there's a fair amount of people who are also registered independent. There's people who are registered in one of the parties, but they vote independently. Mm -hmm. So I think the real question is, are those people um, turned off by Donald Trump or um, are they in, are they inclined to vote for someone just because of Trump's endorsement? Mm. Um, I, I cynically, I think I mean, I think a Trump endorsement is hurts a candidate like Ronchetti in this state. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there are some states where a Trump endorsement helps. Um, but in this state, when you saw such a huge uh, margin between the two candidates in the last election, um, and so much of the rhetoric, I just don't see it helping Ronchetti, especially in the areas where he needs more votes. I mean, he's doing well in the South. Right. That's not a surprise. Um, oil and gas country, more conservative parts of Southern New Mexico. 
Um, and also, you know, the San Juan area where it's also, you know, heavy oil and gas sort of um, industry. And I think in those areas he's doing, he's doing well, but if you look at where he needs to pull votes from the Albuquerque, you know, central New Mexico area, Northern New Mexico, they're not going to be likely to um, be persuaded by a Trump endorsement. If anything, they'll be turned off by that. Mm -hmm. Hey, Daniel, as we tape this, President Biden's in town and, uh, and of course campaigning for Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. And I bring this up to say his approval ratings haven't exactly been stellar lately. Um, in the same sort of vein as Mr. Trump helping Mr. Ronchetti, is Mr. Biden helping our governor here, or are these things just a wash at the end of the day? So first, let me say, since we're talking about these races, Gene, that I've donated money to both sides of these races this year. I mean, I've got Democrats I've given money to and Republicans I've given money to. So, you know, uh, I'm equally as jaded. I think, uh, you know, I think it's I think it's interesting, uh, Laura's take, and I appreciate her her comments being the good Democrat that she is. I'm not sure that President Trump's endorsement is the kiss of death right now. Uh, he's got a pretty good record of endorsements that he's made. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, at the height of the election, when he, when he lost the presidency in New Mexico, I think with the economy the way it is, the oil and gas folks, I think there's a lot of people who may be just as frustrated with the outcome of the last presidential election. And even some were thinking maybe Trump wasn't so wrong. They may not like him, but his policies may not have been so wrong. So I think it does give a little bit of help, but definitely on the fundraising aspect. Okay. I think that it'll pour some more money in statewide. Mm -hmm. But here's the interesting part. I don't know how it hurts him because they've painted him as a Republican Trump supporter from day one. Good point. So it's not like this is a revelation where he's run saying, I don't believe in Trump. I don't like Trump. And now we got this gotcha thing. Mm -hmm. They painted him in a box as being a, a Trumpista and he just sort of ignored it. And now he's got this, this, this confirmation. I'm not sure if President Biden coming helps the, the governor or hurts the governor. I could tell you, you know, I think I think that they're wrong on the way they're handling the abortion issue. I think bringing Kamala Harris in, I think in a heavy Catholic state, I don't think that people are uh, necessarily 100 percent pro-life. Mm -hmm. But I do think that people are not as pro-choice as what we're hearing people like the vice president, the president are advocating for. So I, I do think if there's anybody who's going to potentially have a downfall of getting an endorsement by a president, a former president, or having work done, I think it could affect the sitting governor a little bit. I still believe she's going to win the election by four or five points. Mm -hmm. I still believe the ground game that Democrats have in New Mexico right now is far superior than whatever if they even have a green ground game at the Republican let, Party. Let, let, me ask, let me ask Dave this about uh, the ground game. Um, as we all know, or might not know, uh, Mr. Ronchetti is in the middle of a 42 stop tour across the state looking for independents and Democrats. Uh, you know what I mean? As Laura mentioned just a second ago, I, again, these last minute pushes can be effective, certainly, Dave. But what do you make of Mr. Ronchetti's tactic here? You know, with this much vote banked already, I mean, I think one of the things that you have to look at for all of these nom for all of these races that are running right now, I mean, when I saw Camilla Harris and President Biden both showing up in New Mexico, I thought, okay, they're looking for bandwagons that are going to deliver, that the governor's going to get reelected, that's going to make it, they can chalk that up as a win because they went and helped, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I just, I don't know, I just don't think they're on Ketty, you know, and this is this is a complaint about both sides of the aisle. 
politics is about ideas. What are we going to do to make the state safer? What are we going to do to make Albuquerque safer? What are we going to do to make sure that there's more economic opportunity? And we just don't hear this. We hear it's just, you know, this we bash them because they're a Democrat about, you know, they're, they're killing babies. And, the you know, and the Republicans are like, well, we're not doing that. We're, that's against our values. And then, you know, ultimately we end up electing people that don't do anything. They just, you know, these cultural issues yep. really i just don't think are good tools for running for office but you know yep. i like ideas i like here's what i'm going to do that's you're about it you're about it um guys some other races going on statewide of course democrats have firm leads Berlio county dis da raul torres is leading the attorney general's race by about 10 points according to that albuquerque journal poll recently that's as the advertising in his race of course gets more nasty and so, Laura, is it too much for Jeremy Gay to make Jeremy Gay to make up at this point? Uh, Ten points is an awfully big lead going into the last weekend. It's definitely a huge disadvantage for him at this point. He he just doesn't have the name ID is mm -hmm. one issue, right? And and he has not been up on you know on TV as much as Raul has been. Raul had a tough primary. Um, he was up early in that race mm -hmm. and uh, got his name out there. Just being, you know, the DA in Bernalillo County means he has more name ID. Now there's negatives too, because right. some people blame him for the crime issue okay. as much as they blame the mayor and the police department. Mm -hmm. um, but, but has it, I, has it stuck? I mean, he's blamed, he but he can, right. you know, right. yeah. No, I don't think so. And when you look at his um, experience, right, he's, mm -hmm. he's had, he's been a prosecutor, the DA for the last um, however long, and then he was, a federal prosecutor before that he's got the credentials to be able to you know say credibly you know this i'm i'm well qualified for this position now jeremy gay i think has some some good credentials on his side too but he represents or he's from such a small part of the state that it's harder to get his name out there and good i think point. he's already sort of swimming upstream on that it's going to be hard for him to make that that uh huge margin up um, Daniel, can you do this in 30 seconds? How about Maggie Toulouse Oliver? She has a 15 point lead. Are you surprised Who, by that? Maggie yeah, who's her Oliver? opponent? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. right. I, I mean, but I think, I think that's an interesting deal on the difference between the AG and the attorney general's race, right? Yeah. We're saying the AG Republican candidate has no name recognition, yet he's within 10 points. We have a secretary of state race with a Republican who has no name ID. She's down by 15. So it just shows you how bad the Republican Party is at reading the tea leaves. You have someone that has no name recognition is almost within single point digits of striking. Had you come out after the primary where, where Raul was attacked and continued to paint him in the box that he was painted in the primary right. and build your positives, you cannot come out, especially with early and absentee voting two weeks before running TV and expect to be a legitimate candidate. That's a good point. Dave made that point earlier. A lot of these votes have been cast already. That's the new trend by mail, up to 30% of them. Thank you to our line opinion panel. We're also keeping a close eye on a congressional race that's looking more and more like a toss-up. A recent poll shows Democratic challenger Gabe Vasquez is ahead of District 2 Representative Yvette Harrell, but another shows Harrell with a large lead. During their next discussion, Gene asks our line opinion panelists which poll we should trust and what each candidate needs to do to solidify their position. Take it away, Gene. Recent polling from the Albuquerque Journal shows Democrats leading in all three races, the closest being Congressional District 2, where Gabe Vasquez holds a slight two-point lead over incumbent Yvette Harrell. But different sources, like an Emerson College poll, show Ms. Harrell with a double-digit lead. And Daniel, these kind of things are hard to parse. 
Got to ask you from your gut here a little bit. Last week, when I asked a different group of panelists who stood the best chance of knocking off an incumbent, the consensus was Gabe Vasquez. Is that still the case in your mind? Yeah, I don't think so. I think yeah. that uh, I think that the one thing. So down south, Las Cruces has really kind of changed the CD2 district. As you know, CD2 mm -hmm. was a staunch conservative Republican district with the with Las Cruces turning more progressive, more left. It's become a bigger player. But what I do find is that, you know, those pro oil and gas, those pro ag, those rural New Mexico folks, uh, Gabe is just, you know, Gabe is way too far left, I think, for for those folks. I don't think he's I don't think that the uh, progressive group of the Democrat Party has enough stroke in CD2 to make a difference, mm. to make up for the hardcore, moderate Democrat conservatives and Republican conservatives that will go after and go support Yvette Harrell. I think she's I think she'll wind up winning by a significant amount. Mm -hmm. Laura, interestingly, out of all the three congressional races, candidates in CD2 have raised the most money. With Ms. Harrell pulling in more than four million and Gabe Vasquez at over 3.2 million, you know, both campaigns are airing, like I got to say, television ads attacking each other in the final days. We can't get away from them. But here's the question. Does Ms. Harrell's fundraising edge give her an advantage ahead of Election Day, that final push that always spends a lot of money? That's for sure. Right. Well, I mean the media buys often have to be done so far in advance that it's not necessarily something mm -hmm. that you can very quickly turn up if you get a lot more um, right. influx of money. Sometimes you can, mm -hmm. uh, but there are media buys that have to occur prior to that. And so some of that to a certain extent is set, but there's also radio. Radio is still effective in a lot of these smaller towns. Yep. Um, you know, the local retail politics in, in a lot, especially in CD2, I think, is super important. Well, one thing to keep in mind, this particular poll was um, had a total of 625 voters who were polled. Um, the less people you poll, the higher the potential, <clears throat> the potential margin of error, right? As opposed to the Emerson poll that came out, that one was a thousand people right. um, statewide. And so, you know, that that's an issue. And I would, I, I haven't looked exactly at the cross tabs for this poll. I haven't looked at it in detail, but I will say this, there are a lot of people in you know, after redistricting that are in Albuquerque in the South Valley on the West side, I am now in CD2, which is weird to be in the same district as my hometown and as my fiance's hometown. It's just, it's weird. Yeah. But, um, but those particular, um, you know, those voters are going to make a difference in this election potentially. And so you have to consider, you know, are they, were they also part of this poll or did they, did they only poll likely voters from, or voters who had, who had cast ballots in this, in this congressional district in 2018 and 2020, because if they only vote, you know, they did not capture the folks who are now in there that used to be in CD1. Right. So that's a question. And I think that that's something I would want to explore a little bit further to consider what, you know, how accurate this particular poll was. Mm -hmm. But I, I do know that what was interesting to me is I saw that the journal endorsed Gabe Vasquez, which is really surprising. I expected him, I mean, they endorsed Ronchetti, so I would have expected right. them to endorse um, Harold and they didn't, they endorsed Vasquez. So all three of the Democrat congressional seats were um, endorsed by the journal. Um, no, so they, uh, they, CD1, I thought, was the Republican. I thought they endorsed, uh, the one in Albuquerque, I thought they endorsed early was the Republican lady, I thought. Holmes. I thought all three of them were. We, we can double check that, but yeah. either way, I know that for Gabe Vasquez, because that really caught my eye to see an endorsement from the journal for him. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the fact that both are, I'm not surprised that there's so much money being spent in that race as opposed to the other two, because there are outside forces that are putting money in, both on both sides of the aisle. There's a lot more money coming in. They're showing up on national watch lists. It's just yeah. such a 
a divisive um, DC environment right now that every seat is up for grabs and they're really looking to try to make as much of an impact in those seats that are gettable. Mm -hmm. And so the Democrats are targeting it, which then means that the Republicans are also trying to defend that seat. And all three were Democrat endorsements, uh, just to confirm there. Hey, David, interestingly, when you think about it, uh, Ms. Harrell won by seven points over Xochitl Torres Small back when, uh, back when, 2020. And right. just to kind of toss that uh, aside there for a quick second. But let me ask you this. The two Democratic incumbents in the other districts seem to be overcoming what were expected to be more competitive district lines, as Laura just mentioned, that included more conservative areas of the state. But that right. said, Michelle Garcia Holmes is only down six points to Melanie Stansbury, according to that journal poll, is there anything right. Ms. Garcia Holmes can do to make up that I mean, gap in the final days? Like all things, if you keep running, you just keep getting more and more name recognition, which she's been running. She ran for mayor. She was in the Senate race. Um, you know, and, and I think that the, uh, the whole idea of this redistricting, it was a bit of a bold move what they did, you know, how they did it. The Democrats controlled it completely. They controlled the legislature. The governor signed off on it. The question is, will it work? You know, um, up north, there was some complaint by that candidate that they had made her district more competitive for Republicans. Right. That doesn't seem to be the case when you start looking at the polling. So, you know, the question, too, is when you're talking about the endorsements by the journal, do these endorsements matter? That's what I keep wondering. I mean, do we know, like, did the television stations endorse? Do they endorse? Right. Does it matter if they endorse? I mean, that's the whole thing. And then just for a number to throw out there. There was a number out this morning, $16.7 billion have been spent on these midterm races nationwide. It's mm -hmm. a lot of money when you look at it. So, you know, it's like, I mean, really, it's incredible. So That's we'll Gene Grant revenue kind of money right there. That's <laughs> Gene Grant income right there. That's right. It's a huge amount of money, you know, so money is never an object That's when right. it comes to these races. You make a good point, Dave, that money corrupts. You know, that kind of a thing. Hey, Dan, let me ask you this about District 3. Another second-time candidate struggling up there. Journal polling showing incumbent Democrat Teresa Ledger-Fernandez. 18-point lead over Republican challenger Alexis yes. Martinez-Johnson. You know, I think, I think she is one of those people. She's local to the area. I think she's done a very good job. She mm -hmm. seems to be well-liked. And, you know, basically, it's a it's a 96 percent of all congressmen are reelected. She's going to be right in there. You know, just she's going to keep that seat for as long as she wants. Daniel, what do you think? Did uh, Alexis Martinez Johnson coming at 35 percent and the incumbent at 53 percent? The district was supposed to be more competitive than this. What, what happened there? It's not more competitive. It's it's still a heavy Democrat district. I still believe at the end of the day that I think CD, the CD3 and CD2 were both extremely strong Democrat and Republican seats. And what I think they did was they chipped off a little of the liberal side and a little of the conservative side mm -hmm. of both those districts and put them into CD1, which I don't think they made CD3 or CD2 that much more competitive. I think they made CD1 more competitive back to the day when they had, you know, your former boss, who, by the way, is the recipient of all that money at UTEP, the president of UTEP, Heather Wilson. 40 million. Um, yeah. And Heather Wilson, she's knocking the ball out of the park 40 miles across the state line. So I think uh, I don't think, you know, I think they've made the seats more competitive on paper. But, you know, when you start getting in on, you know, when you start talking about redistricting, you look at voter tendencies, you look at demographics. I mean, we know that you can put a whole bunch of Democrats in one district 
But if you don't put enough with the same race, then they don't get the same outcome. So, you know, it's easy to say, hey, listen, we've, you know, we've made this district more competitive by voters, but, you know, or we've made this district more competitive by ethnicity. Right. But if you don't get the right combination, it really doesn't do much to change the outcome of the elections. That's a very good point there. Very interesting. Hey, Laura, got to get this in before we get out of here. We talked about the importance of turnout in state, state races. What about here? Because again, you know, as Dave mentioned before, early voting and everything else that goes with it is very impactful these days. We've got a lot of votes in and counted already. Right. I mean, the early voting is trending Democrat. The absentee ballot tends to be fairly evenly split. Well, it has in the past, but, you know, it does. It, the Republicans edge out a little bit in the absentee ballot. They're, mm -hmm. you know, the, it's an older demographic that tends to use absentee ballots. Election day itself um, is often hugely Democrat. People yeah. still love to go to the poll. I don't know why, because you stand in line in many cases. Right. And I like to get that out of the way. But that's going to be, I think it's going to be a long night that we're going to be waiting for results to come in from certain um, certain areas. Right. So, um, so, you know, I still think that I agree with Dan that Michelle Lujan Grisham is going to edge it out. Um, but I think we're just going to be a long night sort of waiting for those final results to come in. Good points there. Thanks again to our line opinion panelists. Thanks to Gene and our panelists for the week for that analysis. Don't forget, we have a special bonus episode of the podcast out today where you can listen to our final two candidate conversations of election season. KRWG Public Media's Director of Content, Anthony Moreno, sits down with Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, and New Mexico and Focus correspondent Gwyneth Dolan speaks with District 2 challenger, Democrat Gabe Vasquez. That's all on the bonus episode of New Mexico and Focus, the podcast, out today, anywhere you get your podcasts. As always, thank you for listening. If you like the podcast, check out our show. It's on Friday nights at 7 o'clock on New Mexico PBS. If that doesn't work for you, we always repost it on our YouTube channel, too, as the whole show is individual segments, however you want to digest it. Also, keep an eye out on our social media pages for updates throughout the week and for previews leading up to our show on Friday nights. Of course, we'll also be live at 8 o'clock for election night. That's tomorrow night, Tuesday night. That's 8 o'clock on channel 5.4 and streaming live on the New Mexico and Focus YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks again, guys. I'm senior producer Lou DeVizio for Monday, November 7th, 2022. This is New Mexico and Focus, the podcast. Have a great week, everyone.